Welcome to the Data Chaos Podcast. On today's episode, I have a conversation with Lauren Long. Lauren is the co-founder and CTO of Ampersand, a newly funded seed stage company backed by Matrix Partners. This isn't Lauren's first rodeo at starting a company. She's done it twice before. Prior to that, she spent four plus years at Google where she led cloud functions for Firebase and was the founding tech lead for Firebase extensions. Looking at her storied resume, she's pretty much done it all. This was a fun conversation about her thoughts on building Ampersand and the technical challenges they'll be facing as they start to onboard their first design partners. There will definitely be a follow-up to this episode so we can take a deeper dive into the challenges they face once they got their first customers up and running. So sit back, relax, and enjoy the conversation. All right, today on the Data Chaos Podcast, we have Lauren Long, and Lauren is the CTO and co-founder of Ampersand, a newly minted seed stage company out of the Matrix portfolio. Lauren, welcome. Thanks, Tyler. Super excited to be here today. Very happy to have you. So it's great to have another Matrix member of the, of the family here on the podcast. So definitely looking forward to the conversation. So let's open. How did you, how'd you get here? Tell me this, tell us the story about Lauren. Sure. So I'm originally from Canada and I went to school there after university was when I started my first company. It was a logistics company called Boxit. We were doing storage on demand of physical things, not, not, not digital storage. And it was a great learning experience. I realized that logistics was not the best kind of business to be in. It's not very scalable. The margins are not great. So after that company wrapped up, I've always told myself I would do this again, um, but do it with more experience under my belt and be very thoughtful about the market next time. So I spent a couple of years honing my technical chops, did a stint as a product manager of an early stage hardware company called Nimi, helped them through their initial product launch, and then joined Google on the Firebase team. Uh, so Firebase is a developer product as one of the most popular developer platforms in the world. I worked on cloud functions for Firebase, which was our serverless offering, eventually led that product. And then I started a new team working on something called Firebase Extensions. So that was the marketplace of prepackaged solutions built on top of the Firebase platform, solving common development challenges. Some of those challenges turned out to be integrations. So they were integrating Firebase apps with BigQuery or Stripe or Twilio, where you had worked. And that experience really taught me that integrations was something that developers were looking to offload to a third-party solution if that third-party solution was something that was flexible and powerful and trustworthy. And fast forward now to Ampersand, after spending almost five years at Google, I joined an, another short, sorry, another early stage company called Shortwave, was there for a year, uh, and then started Ampersand. Ampersand is really back to my love of developer tools, back to this idea that integrations was an interesting challenge to solve. Uh, and what we're doing is creating a developer platform to help SaaS engineers that need to integrate with their company's other tools. So some examples are if you're building any kind of a product that sells to a sales team, you'll need to read data from, write data to your customer's Salesforce. And um, now you could go and build that yourself, but you'll quickly run into challenges like having to deal with custom objects and custom fields that people have in their Salesforce. You'll run into scalability issues, 
you'll not know how to monitor and, and have telemetry around those integrations and you'll, your customers will discover those issues first. So we are creating a Firebase-like experience, if you will, uh, for the SaaS engineer, helping them with their integration challenges. Very nice. So before we dive into the technical aspects of it, you just raised not very long ago, right? I think it's only been three it's, or four it's months. Been a, yeah, it's been a few months. That's right. We okay. raised our seed round $4.7 million, led by Matrix Partners. Very nice. And, and what was that like? I guess walk us through a little bit about that experience. Did you Were you talking to different, different companies out there, or different uh, VCs out there, or did you just go straight to Matrix? Yeah, so Matrix, we, we had had a longer, a long relationship with for almost a year now, I think was when I had my first conversation with Kojo at Ose, who's one of the partners at Matrix we're working with. And we, we realized pretty early on they were a partner we wanted to work with because of their high conviction in the space that we were in. So Pat Malatak, who, who, who's another partner that we're working with, he had been studying this integration space and had chatted with a few companies that were building, decided not to invest in it, the other companies he talked to. And when we had met, it was obvious that we were quite aligned on product strategy on what would actually make a company successful here. And it was already a space that he was very interested in. He had done a lot of research in, so it was quite a natural match. And also his background, having been the second product manager at Twilio and, and led a lot of their growth there, we thought that was the kind of experience we really wanted to learn from. So it, was, it, wasn't, a, a process, it wasn't a long process that we, we ran. You know, Matrix kind of came in very early, showed their interest, and we were excited to work with them. Yeah, that's great. It's almost like you hit the easy button and just kept on going. We, we go really build, right? did. Yeah, we, we yeah. lucked out. <laughs> And, uh, you know, we're, we're big fans of Pat and Kojo as well. So Pat led our round, you know, back, it's almost a little over two years ago now, and it's just been great to have them as partners and, and been very, very helpful. So congratulations to you and your co-founder on that. Thank um, you. Let's, yeah. let's jump in a little more ampersand. Let's talk about your infrastructure. What are you building on? I'm assuming the cloud. Uh, uh, yes. I don't want to take uh, anything for granted. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and I'm, I'm guessing, and I'm going to guess you're probably going Google, right? Considering That's your background. Right. <laughs> All right. So, so tell me about it. Yeah, so we are on Google Cloud Platform because I'm quite similar with it, having worked with a lot of the team there and also Firebase was a part of Google Cloud for a long time. And a couple of the products we're using is we're using Kubernetes, so Google Kubernetes Engine. Uh, we're using Google Cloud Functions. We're using Cloud SQL with Postgres. So we're making use of both the database as well as Postgres queues. We're using Google Cloud Storage. And I'm sure there's many more Google products I haven't yeah. named that we're also using in our stack. That's quite the laundry list there, I'm sure. So <laughs> how's that been going so far with the, with the build? Is it mostly you doing it? Or have you, I, I'm trying to remember, have you hired your first engineer yet or not yet? We've just welcomed our first two founding engineers. So we're super excited Yay. for them to work with us. Thank you. Thank you. So yeah, now we're in the active building stage. We have a number of design partners that we are iterating with and getting feedback from, and we're building the bulk of our product right now. Well, you guys are going fast. That's amazing. The two, the two engineers, were these people you knew from your past experience or were these just brand new hires that, that you just interviewed and loved and brought them on? Uh, they, they were people that we haven't worked with in the past, and, but we are you know, very excited to have them on the team. We, we are also bringing on folks from our past. I mean, they, they haven't joined, joined us yet, but we have an offer out to someone that we worked with before, so hoping that they will also join us. But the two engineers we've hired, you know, they, um, we early on in our process really made sure they aligned with our vision of building for developers. They're both super excited to be building for people like them. 
They're excited to be in a founding engineering role, being part of the early team that gets to make a lot of big decisions around technical infrastructure, around our product experience. So I think it's been a good fit so far. Yeah, that's always very exciting coming in that early, like the, the amount of impact that you can have on a hourly basis. I mean, it's even more than yeah. a daily <laughs> is is pretty incredible. And I think that's what makes, you know, the startup world and, and, and going from like zero to one so much fun, just you know, how much you get to build, how much impact you see on a daily basis. And once you start getting those first customers on board and, and you know, watching that sort of aha moment that they start to get from using your product is is, is really amazing. So definitely be a lot of fun to, to see that evolve as, as, as you all start to get more, more stuff out there. Let's jump back into ampersand a little bit. I heard a little bit of the, little bit of the value prop around, you know, making it easy to integrate sort of those third-party platforms that your customers are using. I'm assuming bringing it back into in-house or stitching kind of helped me a little bit more to, to better understand some of the use cases that you're helping your customers solve. Yeah, absolutely. So we eventually want to be the connectivity layer of SaaS and you know, being the intercompany message bus to move data around. But we are starting with a specific use case, and that is CRM integrations. So when a company needs to build Salesforce or HubSpot integrations, we hope to be the go-to tool for them. So a lot of the people we've been chatting with are building for sales teams and marketing teams where they are building products that sit on top of the existing systems of records and they need to be reading data, writing data, and subscribing to events from these systems in order to create experiences on top of them. So these could be products for sales as, as assistance, for example, or sales commissions, or even you know one company we talked to that's pretty interesting. They're building a product that automates security questionnaires, and that actually gets plugged into a sales process. So they also need a Salesforce integration. So we've actually been pretty surprised at just the breadth of companies that need something like our product. Uh, so we're excited to help them accelerate their roadmap. Now, is the, the first connector you're going after is, is largely Salesforce? Yeah, Salesforce and HubSpot are our first two. Are the first two. Okay. Yeah, those are kind of like the, the, the I guess, the, the, the big elephants out there in that world of CRM, right? And so it makes the most sense to go after something that gives you sort of the, the widest reach in terms of customer opportunity. Very interesting. And so like, let's dig in a little bit more, like how's it been meeting with customers? Because as a, as a startup CTO, you're probably spending a lot of time with those customers early on. You're not just building, right? So you probably have to come up for air every once in a while and say, okay, is what we're doing actually working for you? Sort of walk through a little bit about that experience and, and how that's, how that's helping frame what's, what you're building and what's going to be coming next. Absolutely. So I sit in on a lot of these customer conversations, along with my co-founder, Ion Barua. And what's interesting about what we're building is, is, is an experience that Ion has had firsthand, this building integrations and, and having the pain points around both the building and the maintenance. So previously, he had co-founded a company called Siftery, which kind of unleashed the SaaS management space. So SaaS management is a category that helps you look at all the SaaS spend your company has and make smart recommendations on whether you need to be negotiating contracts or canceling subscriptions that your employees aren't using. And as you can imagine, you need a lot of integrations in order to power that product. So he was the CTO at that company and led their engineering team. And they had been looking around for a better solution than building in-house and couldn't find one that really suited their use case. So they sucked it up and built it in-house anyways. 
So it is it is a problem space that he has deep experience in and and, and you know, really visceral pain points that he he can point to. So I think that's really helped us to connect with our customers because he's gone through many of the same experiences that they have gone through. And for me, I had been working in the developing developer tooling space, I'm sorry, for quite some time. So I, I'm, I've also had a lot of experience just empathizing with developers and, 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 and being able to probe around what their ideal workflows are and what they're looking for in a tool. So I think that's really helped us in our customer discovery process. Um, so before we wrote a single line of code, even though we were both engineers could, who could write code, we chatted with over 100 product and engineering leaders who were building integrations to really dig into their experience, both building in-house as well as hiring consultants and using other tools. And, and I think that was largely what helped us to you know, raise our, our, our seed round pretty quickly, what helped us to have confidence and that we were on the right track. So I think that experience has been really key and something I definitely was missing from my previous startup, the, the previous one that I, I had founded and something that we wanted to make sure we got right this time. So from like those hundred customers you talked to or potential customers, I guess you would say prospects, whatever you want to call them, how many had gone off and just built this themselves versus trying to use something else? That's a great question. And it was it was definitely a, a variety of companies we talked to at various stages in the integrations journey. So some were, you know, two person, three person startups that were starting to think about integrations for the first time. We had also wanted to talk to mid-market and enterprise companies that we might not target initially, but we at least want to understand what their pain points are so that later we could have people like them as customers. And sort of the, the divide we found was there was definitely a, a build versus buy question. Uh, and people also don't stick to one path. So sometimes they'll build a, a solution, an MVP, and then later on replace it with a, a more platform approach, whether that's platformizing within their team or they're, they're seeking a vendor to, to, to help them standardize all of their integrations. Uh, we've also seen the opposite where people start out building on a tool. They might even be repurposing a data stack tool like an Airbyte or, for example, to build these user-facing integrations. And then beyond the first couple of pilot customers realized actually they need way more flexibility than what those data tools could offer them. So they decided to then go in-house. So it was really, really a mix. And what we're hoping for is to be a tool that people can build on and grow with. Yeah, you want to you want to convert those that are thinking about, oh, I'm going to go do this myself to see ampersand and be like, OK, I don't want to go do this myself because exactly. this solves my problems. Right. So for the ones that you saw that were building, what was the typical team size you think that they were having to staff up? Like so. And the, the reason I ask that question is, is in my own business right now, we would see companies have to staff teams of, you know, five, six, seven engineers to sort of get the initial sort of platform or product off the ground. What are y'all seeing when you're going out there now in order for them to, hey, I'm going to go do this myself. You know what? I don't need ampersand. I can do it all in-house. And then they go and do it. So from the ones that actually have done it, you know, what does that, that sort of spend and that, that cost look like for them? Yeah, that's a great question. So what we've seen is at an early stage startup is typically maybe one or two engineers that become an integrations expert and they go, go off, read the Salesforce into documentation and, and, and create an integration. At larger companies, they tend to have either a dedicated integrations team sometimes, or they'll have a platform team or a connectivity team. 
And that team not only is responsible for integrations, but they might also be responsible for an external API or for a partnership strategy. So it's, it's really a mix depending on how people are thinking about connectivity. But usually at, at, at a certain scale, the company both have to support an ecosystem of people building to integrate with them, as well as actively integrate with other players. So they're doing this almost two-sided ecosystem and connectivity building. And we want, and there, there's a lot of tooling on the other side. There's a lot of API tooling. There's been, you know, significant growth in that area in a couple of years, in the last couple of years. We're hoping to help them with the other side and the integration tooling. Sounds expensive to me, building it's it yourself, right? It's very expensive. <laughs> <laughs> that yeah. sounds like a, a lot. That sounds like, you know, headcount spend, not necessarily something that's core to, you know, the business that that company may be building or operating, but something that they have to do. They almost have no no choice because it does become sort of core to the operation of that business. Um, you know, it sounds like pager duty rotations. It sounds like on-call shifts. It sounds like, you know, it sounds like a full product engineering team in order to staff this and keep it running. Yes, definitely. And the other thing we learned is it's not just engineering resources that are being wasted on this. It is also the customer support and customer success hours. So a lot of integrations are pretty brittle just because you're relying on a third-party API. There's authentication errors that can happen. You know, the employee who put in their credentials to connect the integrations then leaves a year later and now your integration is broken and nobody knows why it's happening. Um, and these turn into customer support tickets. And, and as you can imagine, the uh, customer support agents are usually not the most technical and, and they're not well-equipped to deal with these kinds of issues. So they end up escalating into the engineering team. It is, again, distracting from core product work. And so lots of resources wasted across the organization on integrations. Yikes. Well, that sounds interesting. <laughs> I can't wait to, to see that evolve and, and hopefully we'll get to use it too. Let's talk about your data. So what are the, what are the, the, the sort of thoughts now and sort of future looking for the type of data you're going to be ingesting and the type of things that your customers can do with that data beyond just, hey, I'm taking it from point A to point B? Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. So we have two types of data that we need to think about. The first is our customers' customer data. So when they use Ampersand to build a Salesforce integration, it is the data that they are reading from their end customer Salesforce, and that's passing through our system. So that's the first type of data is that integration customer data. The second type of data is log data. So when we are doing reads and writes and event subscriptions on behalf of our customers, we call them builders, that's generating logs um, of, of what activity has happened, if there's any errors in that process. And we need to both surface that log in a smart way, as well as type it to the right places. So we want to be able to integrate with our customers' Datadog or Honeycomb, for example, so they have that visibility. We also want to think about how we can use that data and store it and potentially later learn from it. So when the N plus first customer comes in and they have a particular use case, we can make a smart recommendation as to whether, as to how they should structure their integration because of all of the previous customers' integrations that we've had experience with. So that those are two types of data that we're thinking about, the customer data as well as the log data. Yeah, that makes me start to think about sort of, you know, what is the, aside from, I guess, the, the operational side of it from a data perspective. So, you know, as a customer of Ampersand, you probably start to think about, okay, what are the types of analytics that I want to empower my, your customers with 
so they can understand the efficacy of, of the ingestion or the efficacy of the integration points. Have you started to think about that? Is that starting to show up on the roadmap yet? Or is it we still a little bit early there? Yeah, we've put, put a lot of thought into it. In fact, that was one of the first things that we mocked up in Figma is what this management console could look like that will both save customer support hours as well as empower engineers to build better integrations because they'll have really strong telemetry into what's happening. Um, so absolutely on a roadmap, I think it'll be really critical to our success and, and really will offer a lot of value for our customers because integrations is not just about the initial development, but it's also the maintenance that we really need to support. Very cool. Yeah, it's trying to get people to think about how they're going to use their data to help their customers as they grow, you know, I think really makes a ton of sense in this day and age. And I think there, there's a lot of, you know, I see a lot of folks kind of kicking that can down the road and say, oh, I'll get to it later. I don't have time. I've got to build the core product or, you know, we'll get to it when we have scale or anything else like that. Love, love seeing you guys that you're thinking about that early and starting to think about how that's going to be a core sort of feature of your product and already thinking about how do I cut down on customer support? You know, one thing we used to see at Twilio was, each customer support ticket specifically on the voice side was costing up to like $35 per inbound ticket. And so you can imagine as you start to get to scale, how expensive that can possibly be. And it was one of the reasons that we ended up turning around this insights product where we customers could come in and self-service on the same type of data that we would utilize internally to troubleshoot and provide insights into how things are actually working or functioning inside of the, the Twilio infrastructure, specifically around voice. And then it started growing from there. So Really one of those, you know, kind of foundational pieces, especially as you start to scale. But I feel a lot of early companies really like, I'm going to put it off. I'm going to get to it later. Once I have that problem, I can run a, a SQL query and, and, and provide the information. And that's good enough for the time being. But I think thinking about it early on in the product just, just provides a better experience and, and creates that stickiness for your customer to say, hey, you know, you, you care about them. You care about giving them that visibility for them to understand that, hey, everything is working the way it should. So one question I always like to ask here is when you think about all the data that you've probably dealt with, you know, throughout your career, which I'm, I'm sure there's, there's plenty of it, if you think about it, and what's been one of the mistakes that you've seen made, or, or maybe you've made yourself that you wish like, ah, oh, I really wish we wouldn't have done that because that caused us a lot of pain. And, and we had, took us a long time to, to, to back that out or, or sort of undo that debt. Anything that comes to mind? Yeah, that's a great question. One thing that comes to mind is what assumptions are being made about data. And the thing I learned is to not make that many assumptions <laughs> about data in, in the first place, because when you start building around those assumptions and creating certain data models that are not extensible and flexible later, um, that's when you run into big issues. So I mentioned I had previously worked at a startup called Shortwave. That company was building an email client on of Gmail. So think of it in terms of a smart way, a really delightful experience for your email to triage, get through your inbox quickly, mark things as done, snooze them, collaborate with your team, etc. So that was a really fun product to work on. And there we were dealing with a lot of email data. And the initial assumption that was made there was that the email address is a good identifier, which when you think about it, makes sense. Until later, we realize a lot, a lot further into the product building that there's such a thing as email normalization. So on Gmail, for example, if you put a dot in an email address, it gets ignored. And, and you know, Lauren.long 
at gmail.com is the same as laurelong at gmail.com. Those get treated the same way. You can also add plus fragments to email addresses and all kinds of other things. Um, so when we, when we were using email address as the identifier without normalizing it first, it means we were storing duplicate data for a lot of people because they would have two versions of email addresses that we would see. So we then later went through this pretty extensive process where we had to denormalize all of that data. We had to revise a lot of our, 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 our database keys. And I, I led a lot of that work. And that was a multi-week effort. Actually, maybe it was even longer than that. But I think that experience really taught me to not make assumptions about data, especially about keys, to, to really try to have them as UIDs wherever possible. That sounds like really a not fun experience. <laughs> I learned a ton about email. I yeah. have so much email trivia that, that you know, I, I share at parties sometimes. But <laughs> <laughs> That sounds good. I like that. We, we use the addition of the plus sign in our testing all the time. Luckily, we do normalize using that, using that plus sign. It's like, okay, I need another, you know, I need another user inside the system so I can test with it. I don't want to use my own. I'm going to add the plus sign into that email address for Gmail. And, you know, magic, I got another user that I'm not going to mess up my current one. And I can sort of do a whole bunch of fun stuff with that and continue to test. I definitely see people, you know, it's like test plus, you know, whoever it is, 001, 002, 003, and everything else like that. And, and it's uh, can, can help out. Need to hear some more email trivia. What else you got? Oh, email trivia. Did you know that you can have comments in email addresses? Comments? Yes. What is a comment in an email address? I, I can't remember the exact syntax. It might be hashtag, but there, there is a way you can just add random strings inside of an email address that is simply a comment that does not get interpreted as a part of the address. Okay. I did not know that. So hopefully, <laughs> hopefully some of the, that's new for some of the listeners too. I've, I've never heard that nor seen it, but that sounds pretty cool. So You've been building now for a while. You've got your first design customers, design partners that are coming up. What's next? GA? What's the, what's the, what's the sort of big push right now? Yeah, so we really want to have great usage and great developer love with our first couple of design partners. So right now, that's what we're really aiming for. You know, We want to be able to work really closely with a few people and make them really successful and make them really love our product before we expand access to, to, to a more public launch. So right now, it's all focused on the developer love and the engagement. And is more hiring coming up or you're kind of slowly, slowly building as needed? Well, we're going to make a couple more hires and then we'll hold off for a while until we're at an inflection point where we feel really confident in that developer love and engagement and are ready to step on the gas. I'm really glad that early trend, which is probably a number of years ago of higher, 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 you know, even at seed stage was kind of like, you know, you would get dinged if you hadn't hired enough. I'm glad that has reversed and become more of an anti-pattern than anything else. Yeah, absolutely. We have definitely slow rolled our hiring and very methodical and I think thoughtful about it because if all of a sudden you wake up one day and you've gone, you're still building the product and you've gone from, Hey, I've got three engineers to, you know, just even like six engineers. I mean, that's such a huge overhead that taxes you have to pay trying to ramp them up and everything else like that. It's like, no, let's get the product fit. Let's get, you know, let's get some, a bunch of customers that are super happy about us. And then we can start to hire more when it, when it makes sense. Absolutely. And I think it becomes that much harder to find product market fit when you have a larger team. Because you now have to build alignment, you have to share a lot of contacts, and that takes a lot of your effort versus just everyone being singularly focused on finding product market fit. 
Let's talk about the operations side a little bit. How are you, are we operating, observing your infrastructure today? What are you using? Uh, so we, because we're on Google Cloud Platform, almost all of the products are integrated with Stackdriver. So we have pretty good telemetry throughout our stack from Stackdriver, and there's good filtering functionality there. Later on, I think we'll likely invest in, in other tools also, especially tools that our customers are also using so we can understand their experiences more. Very cool. Are you having to carry the proverbial pager yet? So we are not yet live with any customers. So I, we don't have a pager yet. I always joke that I love working on pre-launch products because there's no on-call rotation. <laughs> but as a founder, I also want to launch the products so and we have customers. So it's, you know, really a, an internal dilemma here. Well, I definitely got to go a little while and without having one and did not miss it, but I have to, I, I carry it now. So, you know, carry the, the virtual pager duty and get to hear that, that melodious song again when it wakes me up at, at least it's not two in the morning because one of my co-founders is in Berlin, but you know, I'll get one on a Sunday afternoon and being by the pool and it's not like, ah, I have to get out and go deal with it. Yeah. That's very lucky of a co-founder who, who's in a different time zone. <laughs> yeah. The, the fall of the sun model is really, really nice. So, well, Lauren, this has been a great conversation. I really appreciate the time and obviously wish you all the best with Ampersand and the upcoming, you know, the upcoming launch to your, you know, couple of design partners that you have and wish you a ton of success. Thanks so much, Tyler. Yeah, this was a really fun chat. Thanks for the invite. Absolutely. We'll have you on again here. Take care. All right. Bye.